Good morning and welcome again. As I mentioned earlier, my name is Craig Thompson and I am the senior pastor here. It is our privilege to have you with us this morning as we've gathered together to worship the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As you may can tell, this morning is a, uh, is, is a special morning. We'll be observing the Lord's Supper together. We do that multiple times throughout the year. Today we're doing a little differently in that I will be preaching my entire sermon on the Lord's Supper. We've invited and asked our children to be in with us this morning. So um, all of our elementary school kids are in with us. So kids, thank you for being with us. Also to all of you elementary school kids who participated in destroying my office this weekend. Afterward, we will all go in there and pick up small pieces of paper from the toilet paper that you left all over my floor. For those of you that didn't get to see that, I put it on Facebook so all of you can have a wonderful opportunity to see the way that their children hate me. No, they don't. I'm so thankful for, uh, for our kids and for all those who invest in our children, our youth. Uh, one of the things that, that's exciting about our church uh, on any given Sunday morning, so today I'm sure is no different, uh, we look like we might be a little down, flu might be running wild, but I don't know, but uh, um, uh, on any given Sunday morning, about a third of our congregation is 18 or under, so as you just kind of think about the blessings that we enjoy as a church, and if it ever feels like we're just having this youth movement, we are, There's, if we have 300 people here today, and we might be close to that, uh, for 300 of y'all here, 100 of you are 18 or under, it's also why we don't have any money, because they refuse to give. So um, uh, just, just know, kids, I'm glad that you're in here with us. Uh, we do have wonderful children's ministry, and on most Sunday mornings, our children go and, and have children's worship. They don't go play lots of games, and they, they, they dig into God's Word in an age-appropriate age way, but we like to gather them together with us regularly to be reminded that we are the body of Christ together, that our children and our youth are not the future of our church any more than our senior adults are the past of our church or the history of our church, we together represent the body of Christ. And we all, from 0 to 108, we all are the church of Jesus Christ. And we need to celebrate the privilege that we have of coming together and being a part of one body. This morning we're going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 14. Mark, chapter 14. And we're going to begin reading... In verse 22. Now, what I'm going to do this morning is we're going to read Mark 14, 22 through 25. And then we're going to put a finger right there. We're going to flip over and we're going to go ahead and read 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to explain to you why in just a minute. So if you want to go ahead and get a finger over there in 1 Corinthians, uh, again, if you're kind of new to this whole Christianity thing or the Bible idea, uh, the New Testament runs like this. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Okay, And then you got Acts and then Romans, and then 1 Corinthians. So you're just going to turn over a few pages to get to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. All right, stand with me if you would. In honor of God's Word. And let me read to you. And as they were eating, he took the bread, that the he hears Jesus, he, he took the bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And the reason that we're going to read this is because as it relates to the way that the Bible was recorded and written... The, the First Corinthians is actually an older book than the book of Mark. 
And so what we have written for us about the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11 is actually the earliest history that we have of the Lord's Supper. So I'm just going to begin reading in verse 23, um, and we'll read just through verse 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for loving us. And Father, as we look this morning at the Lord's Supper, and as we partake later of the Lord's Supper, I pray, Lord God, that you would bless us, that, Father God, you would challenge and change us, that, Father, our lives would be different because of this encounter with you. In Jesus' name, amen. We love traditions, and there's, there's something about food that gets closely tied to, to traditions, isn't there? And, and, and it's not always that it's the best food. How many of you ate turkey at Thanksgiving? Raise your hand. How many of you have eaten anything other than maybe a turkey sandwich since Thanksgiving? Whoa, some of you have. Look at that. Why don't most of you eat turkey every other week? Because most of us don't really like turkey all that much, do we? I, know, I said it there, okay? I put it out there. Turkey is difficult to cook and keep it from being ridiculously dry unless you cook a lot of gravy on it or you deep fry it, right? And then at that point, all the health benefits are lost and you're just basically writing your own reservation for the cardiac center at Providence Hospital. Now, I actually like turkey just fine, but a lot of people just don't care for turkey. But turkey still gets cooked at Thanksgiving because, that, because why? Because that's what you do at Thanksgiving. It's part of the tradition. Turkey is not a, an, an especially elaborate meal. It's relatively plain. But when you eat turkey, you think about pumpkin pie and football and, and, and all the other things that come along with Thanksgiving. Okay? When we begin to think about the Lord's Supper, I want to make sure that we understand that there's a specialness that comes with it. But it's not special necessarily because it's elaborate or extravagant. Now, what, what was this last supper that Jesus and his disciples were a part of? If you were with us last week, we actually read in Mark chapter 14 and the, and the verses that preceded um, this morning. So we, we were in Mark 14, verses 12 through 21. And, and there we actually get a lot more details of what exactly was going on before Jesus institutes the, the, the last supper. And it's, it's a picture of the Passover meal. Now, last week, we focused primarily on Jesus' love in having Judas at that meal and that Jesus loving his enemy in that place. But I want to make sure that we kind of hit on some of the things that were taking place at that Passover meal. Um, now, if you'll remember, the Passover, of course, is the most important event in all of Judaism. It's a celebration, a commemorance of God's willingness to pass over the Israelite children on the night that he killed all of the firstborn of the Egyptians. And in, as a part of that remembrance celebration, the Israelites would, would eat a meal that very nearly resembled the meal that God commanded for them to eat in the very, or, or at that very first Passover. Now here's what we don't know for sure. We don't know for sure what Jesus and his disciples ate that night. 
Um, I, I don't know if this church, maybe before I came, maybe if they ever had somebody come in and do a Seder meal, uh, or somebody comes in and sort of serves a traditional Passover. Um, and, and we've got a pretty good idea about some of the things that would have been present there. There would have been lamb, of course, that was sacrificed. They would have passed the cup multiple times um, as a part of sort of the ritual nature of the meal. They would have enjoyed, I don't know if they would have enjoyed them, but they would have eaten bitter herbs. Um, they would have uh, had uh, some beans or a bean stew, and then they would have had some kind of a paste or a jelly made up of various fruits, probably mostly dates. It's actually possible that when Jesus makes reference in Mark 14 to the one who is putting his hand into the bowl with him, they could have actually been, been that could be the bowl of, of this fruit jelly or paste that they were dipping bread into and eating that fruit that way. But again, a lot of these things culturally, we just don't have an exact understanding of of what went on we got a pretty good idea but don't nail anybody to the wall and say you better tell me everything that happened or I'm going to stop trusting you because we just we just don't know the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what they were eating on that night it doesn't tell us exactly how many portions they had or what size but based on our understanding of the way that Passover meals went and our understanding of the text right here it appears that what's happened is that Jesus and his disciples have celebrated the Passover meal And so the Passover meal would have been a ritualistic meal. And then on the back end of the ritual, they're sort of eating freely. So if you can imagine, they go through and they're sort of uh, a bite of this and a bite of that. And they pass the cup once and they tell uh, part of the story and they pass the cup again. And then they, they recount, they take a moment to recount the story of God's passing over of the Israelite children, of God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt, of God's deliverance through the Red Sea. So the Exodus account is remembered. It's important for them every single year to read tell the story of God's deliverance okay on the back end of all of that Jesus then says I'm going to do a new thing with you and that new thing that Jesus does is what we call the Lord's Supper As a part of that Passover meal, Jesus has just recounted the Old Testament flight from Egypt, the crossing of the Red Sea, and God's covenant with Israel given on Mount Sinai. Jesus gives them a painting, a picture, if you will, of the Old Covenant. And then once all of that is finished, Jesus says, Hold on, we're going to do something different. And that something different was the institution of this new covenant the old covenant was passing away and the new covenant was coming and the new covenant was the covenant that was coming in the body and the blood of jesus christ and so it's in that place that the lord jesus initiates the lord's supper what does that mean we need to keep in mind the lord's supper is not a passover feast the lord's supper is not a cedar seder meal The Lord's Supper does not require that we gather together and enjoy a meal. Okay, If we did eat a meal together, let's just say that this morning what we decided we would do is have a potluck. Wouldn't that be fun, like a breakfast potluck? We should definitely do that one day. That would be awesome. I like grits, a lot of grits, just in case anybody's bringing those. And I like onions in my grits. Wow, that took a turn. I didn't say I like cream of wheat. Those of you that eat cream of wheat, you're not even welcome here. (laughs) 
Could we have grits as a part of the Lord's Supper? No. But could the Lord's Supper come on the back end of that? Yes. Because that's what we've got to understand. Even if we gather together and we observed a meal together, that meal would not be the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper would be the little thing that we would do at the end that involves the bread and the, and, and the cup, that, involves the, that, that reminds us of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So does that mean that we have to get together and share a full-on meal before we would take the Lord's Supper? It doesn't, but we can. But here's what we can't do. We can't go eat at Chick-fil-A um, and go, well, there it was. We just observed the Lord's Supper together because the Lord's Supper is something completely different. You understand? So let's look at what it is that the Lord's Supper does. What I hope to do is get you thoroughly confused and then hopefully bring all sorts of clarity before we finish this morning. Uh, the first thing is that this new thing that Jesus did was done to celebrate our unity in Christ. Now, Paul has some pretty harsh words for the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, I didn't read all of that text as we were standing, but, but watch what he says in 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, one goes ahead with his own meal, one goes hungry. What? Do you not have houses, houses to eat in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. One of the primary purposes for us coming together in the Lord's Supper is to celebrate our unity in Christ. It's no accident that Paul referenced the unity of the Lord's Supper right before he launched into three chapters of instruction on spiritual gifts, unity, and worship. If you go back to 1 Corinthians, you, you get 11, and at the end of chapter 11, he talks about the Lord's Supper. Chapter 12, he gives us this big spiel about spiritual gifts, and the purpose of spiritual gifts is to build up and edify the church, right? God gave you the ability to sing, not so that you can build yourself up, but so that you can edify the church of Christ. That's why you should be in the choir, for instance, okay? Um, but God, God gave you that ability. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, look, if you're doing all the right things for the wrong reasons, you still got it all messed up because you're just a banging gong or a clanging cymbal. You're trying to honor God, but you're doing it without a heart of love. And so the only thing people hear is a banging and a banging and a banging, and they don't hear love coming through because you're not loving them in the name of Christ. Right? And then in 1 Corinthians 14, he goes on and he talks about what it looks like for us to, to, to have a proper kind of worship. How it is that we should engage in the teaching ministry of the church and that we should worship the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not an accident that all that comes on the back end of Paul talking about us being unified as one. So part of the purpose of the Lord's Supper is that we would come together and we would be unified in the body of Christ. Jesus also used the Last Supper to give that new command that Brian preached about a few weeks ago and that we've made reference to a couple of times in recent weeks. What was the new command that Jesus gave on the night that he was betrayed? He said in John 13, but this command I give to you that you love one another. That all comes about as part of the same thing. That's part of the reason why when we take the Lord's Supper, it's important um, that we, we consider where it is that it came from. Why do we use bread? Well, first of all, Jesus used bread. But one of the other things that we need to grasp is that when we come to take the Lord's Supper, we are taking of one body. We're taking of one body. 
Okay, now for convenience sake, we often use crackers, but we understand that even those crackers came about as a part of the same roll of dough. Same, everything's coming out of the same place. So we, we reference the unity that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, this is why we don't do, uh, but we'll, we'll move on to that in a minute. Um, so this, this picture of a loaf of bread helps us to emphasize the unity. Where is our unity? Our unity is in Jesus, okay? So that as we take of the Lord's Supper, at, at least symbolically, we are all taking of the same body and the same, bro- and the same blood. Jesus gave his body to each one of us so that as we come and we partake of that, we are all partaking of the body of Jesus. We're not unified in ourselves. We're unified in Jesus, This is why a church can be diverse and still be unified. This is why a church can be made up of people from different theological stripes. This is why a church can be made up from people of different political stripes. This is why a church can be made up of people from different racial stripes and from different socioeconomic stripes. Because we might be different in the vehicles we drive. We might be different in the foods that we eat. We might be different in the college teams that we pull for or in the ways that we spend our spare time. But we are the same, unified in Jesus Christ. Folks, the Lord's Supper should serve as a strong reminder to us that when we gather around this table, we are a church. We're not a disparate collection of individuals. We are the church of Jesus Christ, unified in Jesus. That's why if we have any hope, side note, for our culture to ever find love, care, and unity again, it's got to begin in the church of Jesus Christ. Folks, it's so easy for we to look at all the people around us that need to change. But it used to be that we looked in the mirror and said, Lord God, send revival and let it begin right here in me. If we want to see a revival to come in our country, in our culture, it's going to have to begin in the household of God. And folks, that begins when we put aside the things that divide us and we focus on the thing that has us unified. And that is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord's Supper serves to remind us of that. Secondly, this morning, the Lord's Supper helps us to reflect upon our holiness. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven and 28, Paul warns, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. The Lord's Supper should be a somber experience. Now, we don't want to be legalistic here, but, but the Lord's Supper really isn't a celebration. Sure, we're thankful and we celebrate the victory that we have in Christ over death, hell, sin, and the grave. But the Lord's Supper is a somber reminder that Jesus' death was necessary to secure our salvation. The Lord's Supper is a serious business and it requires serious introspection. Folks, if you're looking at this table on a Sunday morning, you should come into the service and begin to do serious work in your own soul, in your own heart, to determine whether or not you are appropriate to approach the Lord's table. Now, who should approach the Lord's table? First of all, let me just say that just because the Lord's Supper is offered, that doesn't necessarily mean that you should take it. Okay? That doesn't mean that you should take it. 
The Lord's Supper first is only for those who are Christians. Okay, those who have given their life to Jesus Christ. Now, y'all, this is not our way as the church of looking at those who don't belong to Jesus and going, how dare you? No, 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 no. Folks, this is a reminder for those of you who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. You have not yet partaken of the body of Christ. You're not a part of his, of his, of his gathered people. There should be zero desire for you to take the Lord's Supper until you belong to Jesus. There's also a, a grave warning that for us to take the Lord's Supper in an inappropriate way. Paul says in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 20, 29, For anyone who eats and drinks without, discern, uh, without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. The Lord's Supper is serious business because we're doing serious business with a holy God. He says that when we come together, there should be introspection into our lives. Am I seeking to live a life worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ? Those who should take the Lord's Supper are those who are Christians. They're those um, who, who are seeking to honor and obey Christ. Now, in some Baptist churches, it has been uh, the, the practice that they only invite baptized believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here at Malvern Hill, we have generally invited those, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm further convinced after working through this today, that it should be the practice of the church that we invite all those who belong to the body of Christ to partake of the Lord's Supper. However, I do think that there's a necessary caveat right here. If Jesus says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I do think it's worthwhile at least Having you wrestle with the question, if you have not been baptized as a follower of Jesus, why not? Because if you are living in disobedience to Christ, why? It's, you know, what about those who, who claim to be followers of Jesus but are not members of a local church? Again, the question for me comes back to why? Is it possible, theoretically, that a person could be a follower of Jesus and not belong to a local church and not be a part of a regular fellowship of believers? Theoretically, it's possible, but it is certainly not ideal. It is not encouraged, and it doesn't represent a picture of the New Testament Christian that we see in all of God's Word. It's dangerous. It's dangerous for you to be trying to do Jesus and Christianity all on your own. You're exposed to the attacks of Satan without the privilege, the circling of the wagons that is the local church that provides protection from that one who is a roaring lion who's seeking to devour those that belong to Jesus Christ. Who takes the Lord's Supper? Those who belong to Jesus. Those who are seeking to live lives that honor Christ. Now here's what I don't need to do. I don't need to dig into all the individual sin that might be a part of your life that would keep you from taking the Lord's Supper because the Bible says that it is your responsibility to make the decision because ultimately you will stand before the Lord to answer those questions. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't take the Lord's Supper either. Because if the Lord's Supper taken in vain may bring your punishment, how much more the Lord's Supper for those who take it in need? Do you see the difference here? There's a difference between the proud sinner who takes the Lord's Supper thumbing his nose at God's expectations and the broken saint who takes the Lord's Supper of Jesus Christ and says, Lord God, I'm not sure that I'm worthy, but God, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. 
Lord, I come to this table feasting upon the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus because, Lord God, I am in desperate need of the infusing grace of the Holy Spirit to work in my life. And so I remember your sacrifice today, Lord Jesus. Because, Lord God, without it, I have no hope. Who is the Lord's table for? For all of those who are in need of a touch from the Holy Spirit of God who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean for those of you who are here today and you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus? I would urge you to not take the Lord's Supper, but instead this morning I would urge you to take Christ. In just a minute, we're going to look at what it means that Jesus died for our sins. And let me urge you this morning that though you would... You would not, that you would abstain from the Lord's Supper, that you would not leave here today without having made a commitment to Jesus Christ, without having found a relationship with the only one who ever gave his life so that you could live. The Lord's Supper is given to reflect upon our holiness. The Lord's Supper is given, thirdly, to remember Christ's sacrifice. Now, if you look at this, I'm going to come down off. Those of you in the sides can't see, so those of you in the front will just have to attest to it for them. Our Lord's Supper table says right there, this do in remembrance of me. See that right there? Now, all we Baptists do a good job with that. Every Baptist church, if it's a good Baptist church, the bad ones, I don't know what they have, but the good Baptist churches have communion tables that have that engraved upon them, okay? And if you attend a church that doesn't have that, let me just, just take your pocket knife and walk up there next week and just just cut it in there, okay? Because everybody needs to be reminded. There needs to be a sign that there's a reason that, that table sits up here, right? Why, why do we keep this table around all the time? We don't really need a place to put flowers, okay? We, we, we've got room up here for the, I mean, look, the, the, the offering plates are up here right now. And, and, and at least as, as our um, sanctuary is built today, that table could be stuck in any corner of our building, but we keep it right there. Why? Is it holy? No. But it is a reminder of what takes place on that table because the thing that happens most importantly on that table is not that it holds the offering plates. The thing that it represents more than anything else is the family meal of Malvern Hill Baptist Church. In our house, we have a kitchen table and we have a dining room table. Our kitchen table is, according to some people that live in my home, is, is a little bit too large for the space that it inhabits. I personally like the table. Some people, like my wife, think that we need a new table. Y'all all know what that means. Eventually, we'll have a new table. I mean, I'm going to lose. But one of the things that I love about our kitchen table. Yeah, and it took me a while to love it. You understand? I love that it bears the marks of our family. Now, I haven't always loved that. And I'm going to tell you why I haven't always loved it. Because I refinished that table eight or nine years ago. And I don't know, a month after I refinished the table, my parents brought my children a gift. And what the gift is that my parents brought to my children is a spirograph. Y'all remember those from when you were a kid? Y'all remember that? It's got like little gear-looking things, and you trace all these little... Well, they brought them one of those with ballpoint pens and nothing under the paper. And that soft tabletop 
now has engraved in it lots of spirograph decorations. Yeah. That table's beat half to death. There's permanent marker stains on the table. There's all this other stuff. But that table actually was mine and Angela's very first table. It's grown with our family. When Angela and I got married, that table would fold down. It's got two leaves and two drop leaves in it. So it goes from a table for two to a table for eight or ten. And so when we first got married, it was just the two of us living in a little small mill village house. Um, I mean, thank God we didn't have children. We wouldn't have anywhere to put them. So, but we sat that table up against the wall. Everything folded up and the, the drop leaf folded down. And we just had it in a semicircle. So the two of us had two chairs and that's where we ate our dinner. And then once upon a time, this little Wyatt comes along and it went from a semicircle to a circle and the three of us ate our meals. And then came along and Aubrey and the four of us ate our meals. And then Sloan and Brooklyn came and we threw another leaf in there and the six of us ate our meals. And many of you have eaten your meals with us around that table. And that table serves as a reminder for who we are as a family. There's a purpose for it. Our dining room table has a purpose. It's not a piece of furniture. I mean, it is, but I mean, it's not just that. Our dining room table is scratched. One of the things that Angela does to protect our dining room table is she has one of those thick covers that go on it. You know, it's like furry on the bottom and vinyl on the top. Several years ago, one of our babysitters decided, multiple of our babysitters decided to paint picture frames with our kids. So they threw that table protector down. Our our table protector is now 187 different colors. I'll never get rid of it. Angela, I'm sure, hates it. I'll never get rid of it because it's a reminder of what the purpose of that table is. It's not just to look pretty. It's so that we can come together in fellowship and eat and enjoy and work and do and be a family. And we can enjoy having people over to our home. And, and sometimes, like we had, we had a couple over a few weeks ago and we needed to put the table cover down. And so uh, I just threw that table cover down. I didn't even put a tablecloth on. Angela, you didn't put a tablecloth on? I, I, I didn't. We just have this massive painted table cover they sat down. And you know what I did? I told stories about the table cover. Everyone rolled their eyes, but I was in heaven. I loved it. And so we gather around this table. We leave it here with that word, that, that, sin, that statement, this, we, this do and remember to be engraved on the front as a regular reminder that the family of God at Malvern Hill Baptist Church gathers around that table for a purpose. And the purpose around which we gather, or for which we gather around that table is to remember the shed blood and the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We observe the Lord's Supper so that we can remember Christ's sacrifice. The bread represents His body that was broken. The cup, His life that was given. Now, according to the book of Leviticus, the blood of a being, or excuse me, the life of a being is in its blood. And so when Jesus says, this is the blood of the new covenant, Jesus says, not simply that my blood was poured out, but that my life was given. And here the idea of life, and even in the idea of the flesh. The Bible doesn't use the general word for flesh that we see sarks here in this word. When Jesus says my body, it's this idea of my whole being was given for you. We remember the sacrifice of Jesus. That his entire being, his person was given for us. That his blood was poured out. Why do we remember that the blood of Jesus was poured out through the fruit of the vine? That's what we call it in Baptist circles so that we can you know, make sure we're all good. 
why do we drink grape juice and not wine in the Baptist church? Okay? It's important, it's important, first of all, that we use the fruit of the vine here. And I'm, uh, the reason that, that, that I would advocate for always using grape juice is primarily so that anybody in our church who struggles with alcoholism would never be, would never be caused to stumble by taking of the Lord's Supper. Okay? But it's important that we use grape juice or wine, that we use the fruit of the vine. Why? Because it doesn't just remind us of the blood of Jesus. It also reminds us that He is the true vine and we are the branches. And so we're being nourished from the vine that is Jesus Christ. Folks, this is why we don't take the Lord's Supper. Our kids are in here, okay? And we're glad. But this is why, kids, you don't take the Lord's Supper with Kool-Aid and pizza, we, we don't do the Lord's Supper with potato chips and Dr. Pepper because the Lord's Supper is a somber reminder that, that this represents the body of Jesus and this represents the blood of Jesus and the blood of Jesus should be represented in such a way that we understand it symbolically to be the vine giving life to we the branches so that the fruit of the Spirit may come through us because Jesus is at work. So we celebrate the Lord's Supper to remember Christ's sacrifice. The wages of sin is death, but Jesus died. Why? Jesus never sinned. We remember Christ's sacrifice given on our behalf. He took our sin and our shame. Jesus died and overcame death, hell, and the grave so that we would not have to go to hell. And instead, we could look forward to the day when we celebrate the Lord Jesus and observe the Lord's Supper with Him anew in the kingdom as he promised number four this morning we celebrate the lord's supper to proclaim the death of christ until he comes every time we gather together around this table we proclaim the death of jesus christ again now it is not the case that every time we observe the lord's supper that jesus dies again or that he experiences pain again we reject that idea from catholicism that somehow or other that we are re-sacrificing jesus when we gather together jesus said do this in remembrance of me But what do we do? We do proclaim the death of Christ. Why would we proclaim the death of Christ? Because it was his death that secured our freedom. His death was his great victory. We proclaim Christ's death first for our own good. Do you understand that we who are followers of Jesus need to be regularly reminded that Jesus Christ died to set us free? Secondly, though, we proclaim Christ's death for the good and the well-being of others. Don't miss this. He died for the sins of many. Turn back over to Mark chapter 12. 14, sorry, Mark 14. Verse 23, and he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, not for a few, not just for you and me, but for many. The blood of Jesus Christ was poured out graciously so that all who would call upon the name of the Lord might be saved. Do you understand that? The invitation that comes through the proclamation of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, the invitation is this, for all of you, And all the world who has ever breathed breath, that though they have sinned and though you have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, the invitation and the promise from Jesus Christ is this, that if you would call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Period. Why do we proclaim the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? Why do we do it? Because it is the greatest news that the world's ever heard. 
And we have an opportunity to participate in that. So this morning, we're going to come together and we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Okay? And as we do, I want us to take the Lord's Supper with the firm reminder that we don't just do it as a meaningless practice, but that it is purposeful. We do it to celebrate our unity in Jesus Christ. There's a reason why we don't take the Lord's Supper in secret or in private. We never take the Lord's Supper without inviting the church to participate because the Lord's Supper is about unity and not division. We take it to reflect upon our holiness or lack thereof and our desperate need for the infusing infusing power of God's Holy Spirit to make us pure. We take the Lord's Supper to remember Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. And we take the Lord's Supper to proclaim His death until He comes. Our deacons are going to come forward at this time. And as they come, let me urge you with these words. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we invite you to join with us in taking the Lord's Supper. But again, a reminder that if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, please abstain from taking the Lord's Supper and instead today take on Jesus. Finally this morning, parents. We have our children in here with us for all of this for a reason. Our children need to understand the purpose of the Lord's Supper. But parents, let me remind you that our children who have not made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ should not take of the Lord's Supper with us. Instead, this is a wonderful opportunity for us to help them to understand the gravity of this event, the necessity of Christ's sacrifice, and the seriousness of their own sin. It's our prayer that those of our children who don't yet have a relationship with the Lord, and we speak of them that way, of those who don't yet have a relationship with the Lord, it's our prayer that they would soon understand and appreciate the gravity of their sin and the incredible grace of their Savior, and they will be saved. Parents, the Lord's Supper gives us a tactile opportunity to help our children to understand that the body of Jesus was broken and His blood was shed so that we might be set free. This morning we're going to ask our deacons to pass the Lord's Supper out, and uh, I'm, I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 one more time just as we always do. And we will take the bread together, um, if you'll just hold on to it, and we will eat together, so they'll pass it out. We'll all eat together again as a reminder of the unity that we have in Christ. Um, They'll come back, we'll take the cup, we'll hold it, and we'll all drink it together again as a reminder of the unity we have in the blood that was shed on our behalf. This is what the Bible says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread, and we had given thanks, he broke it, And said, this is my body, which is for you. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for the broken body of Jesus. That, Lord God, you you gave not just your flesh, but your whole being. Father, you did it so that we might be saved. Lord, you so loved the world, collectively and us individually, that you sent Jesus. Lord God, thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. Amen. Supper in the New Testament, it tells us that they left from there and they went and they sang a hymn. And this morning we're going to sing in just a moment. But before we sing,
an invitation. Why do we do this? Why do we gather together? One of my favorite views in all of our church is this moment right here. We do it several times throughout the year. I love the Lord's table messy. Especially like it on a Christmas Eve service or maybe a Good Friday service when we come forward and we take the Lord's Supper table together and, and the tables are left with cups stacked up, broken bread, or crumbs in the floor. A strong reminder that we are a church of the living God and that we are actively participating in His love towards us and in His commandment beyond us. Why do we do this? We do this because we are one in Christ. We do it because we are called to holiness. We do it because Jesus died for our sins. We do it because the world still needs to hear the message of Christ's sacrifice. And we do it, you ready, in anticipation of a realized kingdom. Jesus said that he wouldn't drink of the vine until he did it again with us in his kingdom. Jesus instituted a new thing. In the Old Covenant, the message of God's deliverance was told and retold every year during the Passover. And in the New Covenant, the message of Christ's deliverance is told and retold every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We also look forward to the day when we eat this meal with our Savior. So we're going to sing in just a minute. But before we do, I want to invite you to come and take Jesus. I've made reference to that multiple times this morning. But I'm going to say it just one more time. Jesus died so that you could avoid hell. He died so that you could be united to him. He died so that you could be forgiven and set free. See, the message of the gospel is this. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Every single one. And as a result of our sin, the wages of our sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord, whose body and blood were given on our behalf. And so the invitation this morning is this. Would you come today? Would you come today and be set free? Would you come today and experience the salvation that is found only in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you quit worrying about what somebody else might think? Would you focus today on the opportunity that's been given to you? The opportunity that's been given for you to be set free from your sin. This morning, that's the message of the Lord's Supper. That Jesus died so that we wouldn't have to. And that he invites you to participate in that death by asking him to come into your life and save you. This morning as Kevin leads us and as our praise team comes in just a moment. Would you come? Would you come and be set free? Would you come? Would you come to the table? Would you come and gather up here around this place? And say, Lord God, I know that I'm a sinner. Lord, I don't even know what it looks like 100%. But God, I know that I want, I want you as my Savior and Lord. You know, it's okay if you don't have all the answers. It's okay if you're not even sure how to do it. This morning, if you know that you're weak and weary with your sin, today can be the day that God sets you free. Would you come today? Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I pray that you'd be at work among us. That, Father God, you'd be at work through us. Lord God, I pray that if there be one or two or three here this morning who doesn't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, that they wouldn't go home today, Lord God, without coming, making that right. Lord God, today could be the day that they're set free from the chains of their sin. Lord God, they're delivered from the grip of hell. Their feet are set on the solid rock that is Jesus Christ. You sent Jesus so that we might be set free. Lord God, would you set people free today?
Would you be at work among us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you 